Welcome to the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership Podcast. I'm Melanie Blackman, strategy editor and podcast host for Health Leaders. My guest for today's episode is Marna Borgstrom, president and CEO of Yale New Haven Health System, Connecticut's largest healthcare system, and an affiliate with Yale University. During today's conversation, Marna speaks about her upcoming retirement, her organization's focus on succession planning and DEI efforts, and looks back on her healthcare career. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Well, Marna, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today and to be on the podcast. Well, I'm honored to be asked. This is really fun. So your tenure with Yale New Haven Health System started over 40 years ago when you began your career at Yale New Haven Hospital. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your career journey and how you eventually became CEO of the hospital and health system. You know, sometimes I I find when I recount my journey that it's fairly unremarkable and filled with as much luck and good timing as it is accomplishment. You know, I state that at the outset because uh, I've often called myself the accidental CEO. So I came to work as an administrative uh, resident. We call them at the time. They're now fellows out of graduate school. And I had just married my husband. And, um, you know, I he was from the West Coast. And I promised him that we would stay in the New Haven area for two or three years. And then we would go back to the San Francisco Bay Area. You know, and when I came, uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do operations, but I didn't really know what that meant. And over the course of, you know, the first probably 10 or 12 years, I did a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I did some staff work. I did some operating work. I had some clinical departments. Um, I worked in uh, strategy and planning. And everything that I did, I liked, and everything uh, that I did, I thought, well, this is where I'm going to kind of focus myself. And the important thing is, is that throughout most of this, I had a really extraordinary mentor. And he, very different than I, a uh, very traditional, in many ways, white male, but who I probably didn't appreciate as fully how long his vision was because he saw things in me that I don't know that I saw in me. But each time I would kind of get to a fork in a road in my career, he would say, well, let's talk about it. We can go this way or we can go this way. He kept opening up opportunities without ever requiring me to have an ultimate vision. You know, I want to be a senior VP or I want to be the chief operating officer. You know, and so I think what happened with me is each time I got a little bit restless and, you know, I would respond to a call from a recruitment firm, um, this person would say, well, what do you want to do next? And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. And when he would sort of lay out the options, I had a feeling that this was somebody who was not going to let me make a bad choice. There wasn't necessarily the right path, but there were better choices for me at points in time. And when he uh, told me that he was going to retire 16 years ago at a pretty young age, he wasn't yet 60, uh, I had to think long and hard about whether or not I really was ready. I felt I was ready to be a CEO, the CEO. And um, I realized that if I didn't put my hat in the ring, 
I would probably need to be looking for a role because somebody from the outside um, would want to put a new team in place. So I became very intentional at the last moment about vying for this CEO uh, position in a national search. And I was very fortunate to be offered the role. And so um, there are a handful of us who have really had the privilege of developing our careers uh, without ever relocating our families. It's so interesting to me to hear about different executives' career journeys. And I would say yours is remarkable. I wouldn't say it's unremarkable. It's interesting because even though you didn't have a plan, you had a mentor, which definitely seems like it's such an important um, role for people who want to get into healthcare leadership. And also you you answered the call and, and stepped up and threw your hat in the ring. It's just really interesting to to hear your journey. So I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. I felt very fortunate throughout uh, my journey here. I, uh, I am going to miss the people and the work. Well, that actually leads nicely into my next question. So in September, it was announced that you will be retiring on March 25th. How did you come to that decision? When I took this position and I started um, working with my board chair then, one of the things that that person said to me was, you know, Marnie, you should be spending at least a quarter of your time on talent development. And I thought, well, that's how, how do you take 25% of your time and develop talent in the organization? And I will tell you that in the first probably 10 years of my time in this role, I did not spend that. I spend every bit of that time and more now in the last six years. And so my decision is very intentional and began in earnest probably in 2016 with some work that I did with some of my closest senior colleagues and with a committee of the board and just began to talk about what people's horizons were when people were likely to retire or leave for another position, who was behind them. Then we did a lot of talent assessment, you know, among the top five or six people in the health system. What are their, you know, really strong points? Where do they need development opportunities? And so we put together ultimately a framework that said, if I were to retire, you know, pick a traditional age at 65, who would be the people who could succeed me? who's likely to retire before me that would also need somebody in. And we actually put together not just a matrix or, you know, the box that said, okay, this person has these two potential uh, successors, but for the people who we identified with succession talent, we put in place um, a plan for them. And, you know, what do they need? They need more time with the board. They need more time with our medical school colleagues. They need more time in community relations so that there was a plan. Um, I'm a little bit off that. I'm probably about 18 months beyond what the plan originally called for in terms of my departure. But the thing, you know, COVID had something to do with that, as did a transition in leadership at our partner medical school at Yale. 
but the people who we had development plans for by and large have evolved into the roles that we hope they would. It sounds like you had a really great succession plan, which I know is very important for healthcare organizations. You know, it is important, and I'll, I'll share one of the things that we were an early leader on. Again, this person who was my mentor, who most people would look at judging a book by its cover and say a very traditional leader, was somebody who, before anybody was talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, was working on diversity in our health system. And so that became also an intentional part of our plan because even though we are in a Northeast state that many who haven't lived here view as a pretty wealthy state, uh, we are home to three of the top 50 poorest mid-sized cities in the United States. Our patient populations and our employee populations are very diverse. And one of the things from a business perspective that we have embraced for a long time is that the evolution of our leadership needs to reflect the people we serve and the people that we bring into our organization. And so that became a very intentional part of it. And I would share with you that I, I hadn't really thought about it in a global sense because I focused more on the people and the talents at different points in time. But I was giving a presentation to a broader group outside of our health system and threw up our organizational chart with photographs and titles so that they would get a sense of how we were organized and who was doing what. And one of my best friends from graduate school was in the audience and she texted me during the presentation and she said, do you know how impressively diverse your leadership team is? And you know, I kind of knew it, but when I looked back up at my own slide, you know, I found myself saying, I'm pretty proud of that. It sounds like your mentor has kind of created this lasting legacy. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you hope your legacy as CEO will be. Well, so anybody who, who knows me has worked closely with me knows that I hate the L word. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I thought a lot about a legacy, but you know, I'll tell you the two things that I feel most proud of is one, I think we have a culture of accomplishing things, doing things well, but it's also a very nice culture. People care about one another and it's very team oriented. If you want to be a star, when I'm interviewing people and get a sense of that, you know, pension for stardom, I think they need to go someplace else because stars rise meteorically and they fizzle out often as quickly. And I think that team and culture are really important. The second thing is we've spent time focusing not just on what our business strategy is and what the success metrics are, but an equal amount of time on how we do the work to get it done. Because sometimes you can accomplish things, you know, check things off your list, but either they aren't sustainable or everybody's so exhausted and frustrated when you do that you're not going to be able to go on to the next thing. So we put five leadership success factors in place, which are important to how you lead. And the number one thing is you've got to lead with humility. 
you know, we've given definition to each one of these, but, you know, in my opinion, humility is one, as I was raised, not to think that I was any better than anybody else. You know, keeping in mind, you know, where we are as people. And second is, it's not having all the answers, but knowing the questions to ask and who to ask them of. The second, you know, important leadership factor is being courageous. And that doesn't mean taking risky, stupid decisions, but it means getting the information you need and then sometimes making a decision that isn't always popular, but trusting your gut as well as your head, you know you need to make. And it's more complicated than that. The third is building collaboration and alignment. It gets back to, do you want to be a standout and be the person who gets things done? Or do you want to be the orchestra conductor who allows the music to be played beautifully? And I think teamwork and collaboration are essential in healthcare. The fourth leadership success factor, we spent a lot of time on the verb, but it is modeling diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. It doesn't mean just saying that we value it. I think most people today value it, but modeling it says, you know, how are you making it a real part of your business strategy and your organization? And then the fifth one is supporting innovation and You know, I think in innovation, it's not always chasing the latest bright, shiny object, but it's knowing um, how to bring people together to solve real operating problems that we have as well. So those are the five things, how you do what you do. If you bring those five things to the table, at least in our organization, I think you're going to be pretty successful. Oh, that's great. And jumping off of that as well, how would you describe your leadership style and how have your past roles and experiences helped define it? I would like to think that um, if you asked other people, they would tell you that I'm a very good listener, you know, because I do think that's very important to seek out information and points of view to help you do what you need to do. A second is staying um, in touch with the business that we're in. I mean, I, I ran over here from spending time rounding in our cancer hospital. You know, now our system isn't huge and it isn't tiny and I can't get every place, but I will tell you that one of the things people would probably say is when they round with me, they always allocate twice as much time as I've told them to allocate because I can talk to people for a long period of time. And I think that it's a really important way of understanding the work uh, that we're doing. So I think listening, walking, being visible, and, uh, you know, asking people for their opinions are some of the things that, you know, I hope people would say about my leadership style. Well, and as a CEO, and then including all of your past roles, you've been able to have boots on the ground and see things from an operational standpoint. And I was wondering what changes in healthcare stand out to you that you've experienced during your tenure? So there have been so many changes in healthcare in the time that I've been in in healthcare. I mean, there are obvious technological and clinical advancements that have allowed us to care for what used to be fatal diseases um, in ways that now make them either fully treatable or at least 
treatable chronic diseases. So there are a lot of things like that. But, you know, I think that what's also changed in healthcare are the payment systems, not necessarily uh, for the, the better. I think that scale has become very important in healthcare. I mean, when I got into it, you know, the goal, if you had one, was to be, you know, the head of a hospital. And now there are very few standalone hospitals. Um, and healthcare systems are not about acute care increasingly. You know, healthcare is about the continuum of care. It's about navigating that care. It's about bringing value. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that have made healthcare objectively better and more treatable. And I think the spectrum in healthcare has become uh, much broader. But I do firmly believe that we're going to have a hard time evolving the system into what we need it to be if we don't fundamentally change how we pay for healthcare and what we pay for what we value in healthcare because we have a great sick care system, but we have a healthcare system that isn't overall working as well as it needs to. And then finally, what advice do you have for women and others who want to serve in healthcare leadership roles? You know, the, the advice question is one that um, I think many of us are asked often, and I'm not sure that I want to be arrogant enough to uh, give people advice because, you know, I can add to people's information. And I guess the one thing that I felt pretty strongly about is that it's an important to have a vision, to know where in the context of this work you see us going and where we need to go, but don't have an exact plan of how to get there. Um, you know, when I started out my career, it was a very different time. I couldn't compete with the people who are now competing for postgraduate fellowships and everything. I finished an undergraduate degree uh, in human biology, which prepared me to do precisely nothing from a vocational standpoint. And, you know, because I wanted to continue living in California at the time and pay my rent, I worked in ladies sportswear at Macy's and then eventually got a job as a unit secretary on a patient care unit at a university teaching hospital. And one thing led to another. And I think, you know, if, you, if I go back to uh, our discussion about how my career evolved, there was not an exact plan. A lot of times when I will talk to younger people now, they're so goal-oriented that they want to be at a certain title in a certain kind of organization in a certain period of time. And I think while having a vision is important, I would say, you know, lighten up on the reins on that specific plan because you may be precluding opportunities that you weren't even aware of that couldn't possibly have been part of your plan. And sometimes it's those experiences that give you the broadest vision and, you know, help you understand things that you might not have been able to understand as well if you followed a linear path. No, I think that's that's great advice. It definitely seems like a lot of the executives I've talked to, their career path wasn't planned from the beginning. And you are one of several CEOs who have called themselves accidental CEOs. And it's just really interesting to see how 
how the career journey evolves and how executives, you know, come to be. So I really appreciate you sharing that. One of the things that when I've talked with colleagues who have built careers in single organizations, and I think about great leaders like Tom Prislak at Cedar sinai or Dave Blum, who retired from Ohio Health, or, you know, Peter Slavin, who spent 20 plus years at Mass General. One of the things that I think we, we often talk about is that one of the things that helps to build credibility is I have never executed a plan perfectly. No matter how good I think my planning is, you know, life gets in the way. And um, the one thing that I think that, that the clinical staff and the business advisors we have and everybody else came to understand was that if we didn't get it right the first time, we were all gonna be looking at each other across the table six months from now. So we were pretty committed to going back and doing what it took to get it more right. And you know, I think that that also supports that idea of not being so, I have to be here in a certain amount of time and jumping around because I think you lose some of that gravitas and that learning that comes from living with your mistakes as well as your successes. Well, Marna, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and sharing some great advice. I really wish you a happy retirement in a few months, and I really hope that we'll be able to stay in touch. I would love that. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other. Mm-hmm.